1: Well, we only have a few weeks left in our renewed series. This story that we've been exploring from Genesis, through the people of God, coming out now near the climax. and We've been exploring this together because we recognize that God's story is something that we are part of. And we're meant to be activated into it by the Holy Spirit. What does it mean for us? What does it mean for you, for me, in our daily lives, practically speaking, to be part of God's story? You know, activation is part of the subtitle of this series, On Purpose, being activated into the greatest story of all. Why? Because that's the goal. We're not meant to be passive people who just sort of watch life unfold or watch and wait for God to do something and somehow not really do anything ourselves. No. No. God has activated us as people to be part of what he is doing. And knowing his story, knowing how he's worked through history and through his people and how he's working today is critical to that. Now, we've been trying to draw that um, into view as we've been going through the story, of course. But today we're going to hone in on this question of activation by looking at the very beginning of Jesus' ministry in the Gospel of Luke. Remember, there's four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Luke is the third one. And in the, all four Gospels, Jesus comes on the scene as the hero of Israel's story. All the Gospel writers, all four of them, they want us to see how Jesus doesn't just arrive out of the vacuum, out of nowhere. Surprise, we didn't see that coming. But rather, he comes as part of a very long story, a story that we've been exploring over the last number of months. And these gospel writers, they want us to see how Jesus was standing in a family story, born in a very specific family. How he comes in a long line of prophets and kings and priests, coming now as the one who will restore the kingdom of God and renew all things. They don't want us to miss that. Well, Luke Uh, the non-Jewish author of the bunch. He became a follower of Jesus, and, and then he began to investigate the stories and report on what he discovered about the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus, as well as the start of the early church. And he deeply understood how Jesus came as a climax to Israel's very long story coming as an answer to Israel's unfaithfulness, something we've seen as we've been unpacking the story ourselves, as well as the solution to sinfulness of the whole world. And so Luke begins his story uh, by pointing out all the ways the coming of Jesus was anticipated, foretold by prophets and announced by angels. You know, shepherds were involved. There was a nativity scene. We've heard that part of the story, affirmed by the faithful people of his day. And then, knowing the significant milestones in Israel's own story, Luke begins to tell the story of Jesus as a kind of symbolic repeat of Israel's story, but now with a very different outcome. We don't have time to dive into all this today, but let me just highlight a couple things from those early chapters. For example, Jesus goes to the Jordan River, and he receives baptism for repentance, a baptism from John. Now, Jesus, he didn't need to repent. He had never sinned, but he did that as an act of solidarity with sinful, unfaithful Israel. Standing in with them, but also as kind of a symbolic repeat of Israel coming out of bondage, coming out of slavery, passing through the Red Sea. Jesus comes out of the waters of baptism, and he's affirmed as the very Son of God by the words of the Father and and the sign of the Holy Spirit. Remember that? as Jesus was praying as says in Luke uh, chapter 3 the heavens were opened and the holy spirit descended on him in a bodily form like a dove and a voice from heaven we heard says you are my son whom i love with you i am well pleased luke is intentionally seen Israel's story now being retold in Jesus. And then very intentionally, he goes on to describe the lineage of Jesus, tracing his family line, not only through Israel, but all the way back to Adam himself. Now, we often wonder in today's day and age, why would he inflict this upon us? Why would he give us all these strange names? Why do we care? Well, Luke wants to show us that this man, Jesus, who is the very son of God, is also the very son of Adam. A very perfect human being and a faithful child of Abraham. In other words, Jesus comes as a climax to a very long story. Jesus is now bringing that long story to its conclusion in himself. But that's just Luke getting going. At the beginning of chapter 4, Luke tells us, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan, where he was baptized, and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them, he was hungry. These 40 days, scholars agree, are representational. Just as Israel spent 40 years wandering around in the wilderness and failing to be faithful at almost every turn, often because they were hungry, grumbling against God, Jesus The true Israelite spends 40 days in the desert fasting and endures the temptation that came to him and succeeded where Israel failed. The whole story of Israel, in fact, the whole story of the world, is being rewritten through Jesus so that it can be renewed by Jesus. He's doing it for his people. He's doing it for the world. He's doing it for us. Well, that's all just background to actually our focus story today. But I wanted you to see that because Jesus now comes on the scene as the hero to the story. And Luke wants us to see how Jesus had overcome where Israel failed. So much of the story that we've been exploring has been a story of unfaithfulness. God's faithfulness, but Israel's unfaithfulness. And so when Jesus emerges from this desert victorious in a way that Israel never was, he's ready now for the mission of his father to bring renewal. As Luke put it, in verse 14 of chapter 4, Jesus returned to Galilee, That's it. that is, returned from the wilderness to Galilee, in the power of the Spirit and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, that was their gathering places for teaching um, the Word of God, and everyone praised him. What I want you to hear here is that Jesus the blessed one, you know, blessed by his father, blessed, filled by the spirit, is now coming to bring blessing to everyone else. We've seen that theme emerge all through the story that God had called Israel, had blessed Israel to be a blessing to the world. And now Jesus comes as a true Israelite being that blessing. With all of that as a setup, Jesus now begins his ministry. And how he does it is powerfully clarifying. Not only clarifying when we understand the mission of Jesus, but clarifying for us as he activates us as his followers. And so I I want to invite you, maybe you have a Bible at home, maybe you want to pull it up on the screen, but I want to invite you to follow with me through Luke chapter 4, starting in verse 14 through verse 28. We're going to talk through it, and then we'll make some conclusions. Here we are. So, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in the synagogues and everyone praised him. So good, so far. He went to Nazareth where he had been brought up. So this is Jesus' hometown. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue as was his custom. He stood up to read and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it was written. And then he reads from it. It's from Isaiah 61. These are the words that Jesus reads. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. Let me just give a little uh, note of cultural clarity here. When Jesus read the scripture, that was expected. When he sat down, That was the moment when a rabbi would sit down to then teach. And so when Jesus sat down, the expectation at that moment was that people would turn to Jesus as this rabbi now recognized and and they would now expect him to give commentary on what he had just read. So with that expectation in mind, all eyes fastened upon him. This is the commentary that Jesus gave. He began by saying to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. The fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy of the Spirit of the Lord resting upon a man through whom God's good news would come was fulfilled in their hearing that day in him. The story goes on. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son, they asked? Remember, it was his hometown, Then Jesus pushes them in a way they didn't expect. Jesus said to them, Surely you will quote this proverb to me, Physician, heal yourself. And you will tell me, Do here in your hometown what we have heard that you did in Capernaum. Truly I tell you, he continued, No prophet is accepted in his hometown. I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time. When the sky was shut for three and a half years and there was a severe famine throughout the land, yet Elijah was not sent to any of them, but to a widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon. A non-Jewish region, just as a side note. And there were many in Israel with leprosy at the time of Elisha the prophet, yet not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian. All the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this they got up drove him out of town and took him to the brow of a hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff but he walked right through the crowd and went on his way it's quite a beginning to jesus ministry at first they're impressed they don't fully understand what he means When he begins to explain that this mission of renewal that the Father has given him is something that often the people who should have gotten it miss, but it has gone out to the whole world. People that were considered outsiders, they get in on this good news. Those who were, quote, insiders were upset by that and they pushed back. It's quite a way to begin because what we are shown here through Jesus is that his mission to bring renewal is always a mission to bring renewal to those who have often been rejected, crushed, broken, hurt, enslaved. It's powerfully clarifying for us because it helps us understand what Jesus is now going to go on to do. As he taught about the kingdom of God that has come, as he lived that out in relationships with others, as he touched and healed and cleansed, as he pushed back against principalities and powers, religious authorities, political Authorities revealing the good news of God that has come to those who had been previously rejected or ignored. It reveals to us that God's grace comes to people who thought that God had forgotten them. The question is how does this opening of Jesus' ministry, in Luke's gospel at least, help us understand how we are to follow Jesus today? In other words, how does it activate us? That's where we're going. You may remember at different times through this series, I've I've, I've, I've challenged us to think through worldview questions. How this big story of God, from start to finish, clarifies, especially as we're going through the story, clarify five basic questions. Questions about identity, who are we, what does it mean to be human, who is God, but particularly what does it mean for me to be me and you to be you and us to be us, identity. We've also explored how the story helps clarify reality. What is the true nature of reality? We, are we stuck in a, a doom loop and a never-ending cycle? Or is history going somewhere? Um, is creation real? And is it, is it something that is, is important and good? Or is creation something to be rejected because it's evil? You know, those kinds of questions, different worldviews have answers. Within, within the Judeo-Christian worldview, creation was created good, and yet now has experienced brokenness because of sin we've explored of course a lot of questions around um, diagnosis what is wrong with the world what is wrong with us and of course remedy what has to be done what can be done what's been tried and failed and what now is the actual solution and all through the story this has been emerging it really comes to coalesce around of course the person of Jesus particularly as we think about that fifth question which is What's our part in it? What is our participation in this story? Because you see, all Israel, all the world, God is calling into renewal. That's his intention for it. And so coming in the person of Jesus to bring renewal, Jesus begins to call followers to himself to be part of this story of renewal, experiencing renewal themselves. And now as his spirit anointed people, bringing renewal to the rest of of the world, What we discover is we, as Jesus' followers, we bear witness to Jesus, who is the renewal to the world, by living that renewal now in the name of Jesus. Let me say that again. We bear witness to Jesus. We point to him with our lives, our actions, our words, our community. We bear witness to Jesus, who is the renewal. He is the one who brings renewal. He is the very renewal of the world. And we do that, by living out his renewal now in his name. I want to unpack it a little bit because I do think this has real practical implications for us. The first very practical implication for us, whether we're followers of Jesus or whether we're just exploring faith, is this. We need to actually get really clear on Jesus. We need to get really clear on how Jesus understood what he was doing, why he had come, what he was on about, what renewal actually looked like. And this is super basic because we can't actually move forward in this story. We can't be activated as God intends without a clear conviction that there's no renewal outside of Christ, no true renewal. Good things can happen, things can be shifted, but there'll be no true, lasting justice, mercy, change, transformation apart from Jesus Christ. Jesus is the very apex of everything, the clue to the meaning of the universe. He's at the very epicenter of all that God is doing to bring creation back upright so that it can flourish as he intended. And all the gospel writers, the whole of scripture, wants us to see that. Very practically, what that means for us is that as Jesus followers or as people exploring the life of Jesus, we need to immerse ourselves in his life, in the Gospels, certainly, uh, as a primary place, in the way that we understand his life as explained through the New Testament and then read back through the Old Testament. The Holy Spirit wants to help us see the world around us through the life, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ. We are called then to filter everything we see, everything we read, everything we process through the life Of Jesus Christ. Not in a trite way or a cliche way. But in a robust thoughtful way. Which seeks to root our thoughts. Our our ideas. Our actions. Our very interpretation of the world. Through the life of Christ. Now I just want to be candid with you here. That I think. I don't want to be harsh. But what I see. In my own life in the lives of followers of Jesus around me, is that it's very easy for us to forget this. To sort of think, well, yeah, I follow Jesus. But then, with our words, with our actions, with our ideas, betray the fact that we've actually allowed other ideologies, other perspectives, to crowd Jesus out. And as a result, we can begin to think of renewal. We may not use that word, but think of change. Think of what needs to be done in our families. What needs to be done in our relationships. What needs to be done in our workplaces. Or maybe at a more macro scale, what needs to be done politically? What needs to be done economically? We can think of those things in ways that have been unhitched from Jesus Christ. Like he actually isn't factoring into that anymore. And, and so we can begin to propose things and promote things and say things that actually don't represent Jesus, don't represent his good news, that actually somehow have been taken away from what Jesus is all about. And so the challenge for us, it's square one as followers of Jesus, is that the very life of Jesus, his teaching. His way of seeing the world. His way of of, of being in relationship with the Father. His perspective on what matters and what doesn't. We've got to let that literally immerse our heart and minds. To guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus and let his good news shape the very way we see the world. That is an ongoing challenge. That is a life of discipleship and maturity in Christ. And at every step of the way, we must always come back to the life, the death, the teaching, the resurrection, the ascension of Jesus Christ. He is the renewal. We must hold on to him. Flowing out of that then, we have to live the renewal of Jesus now. We have to live the good news of Jesus now. And I think we do that in two ways, or there's two aspects to it. Let me me say it this way. The first thing that we, to be activated into the mission of Jesus, according to what he has done, is that we recognize that we, as followers of Jesus, we do the same as Jesus in his name. We do the same in his name. How will renewal come? What Jesus has done, we now follow suit. We follow him in the same way. We represent Jesus by the Holy Spirit in our lives and relationships, in the world that God has given us to live in and share and work in and work toward his renewal, we do that in the same way that Jesus did. We know how the whole story unfolds. God sends his Holy Spirit later in the story. In the other book that um, Luke wrote, the Holy Spirit comes to empower his people to be witnesses to Jesus throughout the whole world. And how they do that is by continuing to spread this good news message of Jesus as now people who have been anointed by the Spirit to follow in the pattern of Christ All through the story, we've been called to follow Jesus and live as he lived. Which means that we, like Jesus, we can take these words of Isaiah 61, Luke 4, and in a very real way, they apply to us as followers of Jesus. They apply primarily to Jesus, but now as followers of him, we say, you know what? We are going to make God's good news real to those who are in poverty, Not just spiritual poverty, but physical poverty and economic poverty and emotional poverty. People who are poor. This is good news for them. What Jesus has done is good news for them. We're going to be people who are declaring and making the good news available to people who've been neglected and marginalized. Who've been oppressed. Who've been forgotten. In other words, we have been blessed to be a blessing. To follow Jesus as he is. Done. The gospel of Jesus Christ has always been, has always declared this shocking announcement that there's something good for those who thought all good had gone. There was a big turnaround for the poor, you know, freedom for the captives. This is like the door swinging open and the chains coming off the wrists. This surprising turnaround. Someone who has been blind for life can now see healing for the broken. A total Turnaround from what was expected. Practically speaking, this means that our very lives and relationships, our ministry as a church, our actions have to line up with the good news, with the mission of Jesus Christ. Because if the good news of Jesus isn't good news for the poor, isn't good news for the captive or the blind or the oppressed, then it's very likely that somehow we've actually missed. Jesus. We've missed what he's doing. And I think when you look down through history and even today there's times when you can hear what some Christians even are saying about the good news but you think I'm not sure how that's good news to the poor anymore. I'm not sure how that's good news to the oppressed anymore. I'm not sure if that's good news to the captive anymore. In fact it feels like the good news has been now something that's serving just us. Serving the comfortable, serving our own little group. And the gospel of Jesus was never for that. It was for us, empowered by the Spirit, to go out and declare that there's a king on the throne and that is good news to the poor, the oppressed, the captive, the broken. So the challenge for us is to ask are we moving toward the powerless as a church, as individuals, as families? Are we moving toward people who are hurting to let them know that there's a king on the throne? That, that we care for the experience that they've had. That, that we want to bring good news into their lives. Not just by speaking it, but by living it. By inviting them into a place of forgiveness and prayer and friendship. By being present in their lives and reminding them that Jesus is present also. Jesus, who is renewal, he still comes to the poor and the prisoner, to the blind and the oppressed, and he does it through us. And this, I think, challenges us. It challenges me. It challenges me to examine my own life because I wonder, is that really true of me anymore? Or have I forgotten that this good news is for others, and particularly those that others have forgotten? I've forgotten. And so I'm really challenged by this as I look at the life of Jesus. And it reminds me personally to do what I already said, which is to immerse myself again in the life of Christ. To remember that I need his life, his heart, his prayer, his ministry to be the model for me. To be the, the, the very way I see the world. The way I judge what's going on around me. The way I move ahead. So we do what Jesus did in his name. The second aspect of though though of this is really apparent in this story, but really apparent of course in this whole story of Jesus is that we suffer the same for his name. So we do the same in his name, but we also suffer the same for his name. You know, in this story alone, when Jesus begins to push his own people to begin to explain to them how the good news is going to come to people that they thought were excluded. It's going to come to people that they didn't think, don't think deserved it. It's going to go out in ways that make them uncomfortable, that maybe even displace their feeling of superiority. They were upset by that, so much so that they tried to kill Jesus right at the very start of his ministry. By the end of the story, of course, they do kill Jesus. And it's for the same reasons. He has been living and teaching, has been demonstrating with his life and then with his death that the good news is for the poor, for the oppressed, for the captive, for the blind. And the truth is, there are those for whom this message, uh, it shakes them up because it's going to displace them. <laughs> they, they've got a vested interest in people staying poor or staying crushed or staying oppressed or staying captive. The blessing that we are to be to the world, brings backlash. Brought backlash for Jesus time and time again, ultimately leading him to the cross. It will bring backlash for us. When we seek to do the same as Jesus did and to do it in his name, there will be those around us in our broader culture and unfortunately, sometimes, even people who are within the church who will push back against that who will say wrong things about you, who will misunderstand what you were doing, who will see uh, the grace that you're giving to others as, a, as something soft, or they'll, they'll, they'll call you names, or they'll, they'll slander you in some way, because when we give the gospel to others the way that Jesus did, we will suffer the same way that Jesus did. Jesus went to the cross, but he told his followers, that we had to pick up that cross too and follow him. And I think we need to be ready for that. I think we need to acknowledge that. That when we stand with the powerless, when we advocate for the oppressed, when we take the place and, and, and come alongside people who, who need healing, when we begin to, to, to move away from the powerful and the, the strong and, and to identify with those who are crushed, there will be those who are offended by that. They'll, they'll find excuses to discredit us and disgrace us. And when that happens, we have to acknowledge it for what it is. We don't fight back. Jesus didn't fight back. We don't call names back. Jesus didn't do that either. We don't slander and return. We don't return evil for evil. But rather, we continue to bless those who persecute us. We continue to pray for, uh, for forgiveness to those who slander us. We recognize that just as we do the same as Jesus in his name, we suffer the same as Jesus for his name. That we have been anointed by the Spirit, and we are announcing God's reign, but as a result, we too will follow with Jesus on that suffering path. We will experience the disdain that he experienced. Why? Because renewal to creation has never come through Uh, this powerful move to overcome with violence or with, with, with a force of words, but rather demonstrated through Christ. The renewal that God is bringing to the world comes through suffering love, comes through participation with those who are hurt, with those who are crushed. Of course, when we remember the whole story, we remember that that's exactly how Jesus brought renewal. You know, everyone around him expected Jesus to call together armies, to pull together the various political factions of which there were many in his day, to somehow pull together a force and throw off the Romans and install himself as king and finally do what everyone wanted him to do. And Jesus, when he went to the cross, demonstrated that this good news kingdom that was overturning the powers of this world, this good news that was going to actually bring real transformation and renewal, to everyone was something that is always ever won through suffering Jesus is still calling us to follow him in that to make the good news real to people and to be willing to suffer for his name as a result confident that it is through Christ that God is still bringing renewal to the whole world now that forces us to a choice doesn't it Not only do we need to immerse ourselves in the life of Christ, not only do we need to be willing to to do the same as Christ and living the good news to people who have often been off the map or off the margins, but to accept the consequences of that as followers of Jesus. That requires us to do some deep soul-searching, some prayer, some re-examination of our own hearts and minds, and then at the end of the day to decide who we're going to follow where we're going to go. As we close today, I want to invite you to, to listen to this final song. As for me and my house, of course, taken out of the book of Joshua, but pulling together so many of these themes that we've explored and challenging us to make the choice of who we will follow. My hope and my prayer for myself, for all of us, is that we will look to Jesus and we will do the same as him in his name, suffer the same as him for his name, but ultimately see God's renewal flow out to the people around us and to the world he loves. God bless you.
0: Thank you for listening. We hope today's teaching provided you with life-changing truth and valuable insight. We hope you've learned of some practical steps forward in your spiritual journey, whether you're finding Jesus for the first time or you have been following him for years. Do you know someone who would be encouraged by what you heard today? We invite you to share this podcast so they can be encouraged, too. For more information or to ask more questions, you can connect with us through our website, ericksoncovenant.ca. You can also find us on Facebook by searching for the Erickson Covenant Church.